Does anyone here have a good scar story? <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I know of a few of your scar stories. Yeah. Well, today happens to be my daughter's uh, birthday. She turned three years old today. And as you guys know, Daisy has a scar uh, that she got right on her forehead when she fell into the door uh, in the nursery. It wasn't even during church. So we were just playing over there, and she fell into the door of the nursery. And uh, the thing about scars is we love to have the story to go with it, right? Like, I have a couple scars with really lame stories. No one cares about the time I had, like, a rusty fence cut me, right? Big deal. But Daisy has a good scar story, and at now three years old, if you ask her about it, she will tell you. She'll say, uh, bang into door, and then she'll say, blood everywhere. <laughs> and then she'll say, Al cleaned my hands, because he did. Al cleaned her hands, and that, she remembers that detail. So she will tell you the scar story. We all have scars and stories that go with them. What about, do you have an injury that you've had that has affected the rest of your life. I bet some of you have those too. I know some of you have those. Well, I, I have such, a, such an injury, and I'm going to do something I'm going to regret, but I want you to see this picture. This is me. I wrestled in middle school. Now, I know you weren't intimidated by me before, but now, look out. When I was wrestling in middle school, you can take that down now. When I, <laughs> when I was wrestling in middle school, I was uh, in practice. I was wrestling, many of you know Mikey Rogers. We were practicing. He's the only kid smaller than me in middle school. Uh, there was a move where you want to put someone's head like onto the mat. And my head went down on the ground, but it wasn't the mat. It was the cafeteria floor. And I was concussed. And so I got a concussion. And stemming from that concussion, I've dealt with migraines throughout my life ever since. And so that was a gift that keeps on giving. I had an injury that has affected the rest of my life. Now today, we're talking about another individual who wrestled and who also received an injury that changed his life forever. We're talking, of course, about Jacob today in our fourth week of before and after when we are focusing in on the transformational work of our Savior and today we're looking at Jacob, the one who wrestled with God and was changed forever. Our main passage this week will be in Genesis 32, but we got some setup and catch-up to do to get there. But you can turn to Genesis 32 in preparation. But let me help you out if you need a refresher on who this Jacob is. Now, Jacob's known as one of the fathers of the faith. In fact, Often throughout the Old Testament, you'll hear God referred to as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. So you would think that this guy must be incredible. But actually, he has a really, really difficult path by his own doing through life. He eventually does go on to become known as one of the fathers of the faith, knowing that God's blessing came to and through his family line. But for over half his life, he struggled and he struggled and he struggled, all on his own power, giving more examples of how not to be than how to be. In fact, his wrestling with others begins even before he is born. Genesis 25, verse 22, we read that the children, that is Jacob and his twin brother Esau, 
struggled together within Rebecca, and she said, if it's thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and of course, what does the Lord go on to tell Rebecca? That of the twins inside you, the older Esau, he will serve the younger. Before they are even born, Jacob is wrestling. And God here alludes to the fact that it is Jacob that will receive God's blessing, not Esau. But Jacob in the womb, he's already struggling. Another translation says jostling, like they're fighting in the womb. Poor Rebecca. And what we find is that Jacob continues his struggle with others throughout his entire life. He tricks his brother out of his birthright. He tricks his brother out of his father's blessing. Over and over and over again in Jacob's life, he seeks to take things into his own hands to accomplish his own plan to acquire what he so desperately wants without recognizing it is God who provides. And so what happens when someone such as Jacob tries to take total control of their life at the expense of others. Selfish, selfish acts lead to self-inflicted suffering. Our world will tell you that being selfish is the way to get more, but what we know is it's the way to lose your soul. Selfish acts lead to self-inflicted suffering. And so Jacob, he tries to get as much of God's blessing as he can on his own power. And along with it comes struggle and pain and heartache. So after tricking his dad to give him his blessing, Esau threatens to kill him. I mean, you heard the very quick list. Esau's had enough. So Jacob flees. So not only does Jacob struggle— but Jacob is now on the run. How many of us here can identify with Jacob? We struggle. We scrap. We trick. We deceive others. We deceive ourselves. All to try to get what we want with our own selfish acts to find that what does it bring us? Nothing but self-inflicted suffering. Jacob runs. And he runs, and in his running, he encounters God. You can read about Jacob's incredible prophetic vision in Genesis 28, where he has the stairway to heaven with angels ascending and descending. Don't take Led Zeppelin's word for it. It's terrible theology. You go to Genesis 28 to hear about Jacob's vision of the stairway to heaven. And what happens in that space is God meets him in a dream and promises his blessing to Jacob. It's the same covenant blessing first given to his grandfather Abraham and then given to his father Isaac that it would also come down and be Jacob's. Jacob, of course, is delighted to hear this news. Just, just thrilled. After all, this is what he's been struggling for. This is what he's been wrestling others for his entire life. But it's incredible because even with that, he still doesn't trust God. Because look at what it says in Genesis 28, 28 through 21. Right after this, Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. If 
then a conditional vow to God who promised him his blessing. He gives God a conditional vow. Married folks, if you were to stand at your wedding and about to give the I do's and your future spouse is standing in front of you and they say, I will if you feed me, you protect me, and don't get mad at me on Thursdays, and let me go hang with the boys, and let me do this and all this, then I will love you. How would you feel? That's like, that's like a flee the altar moment, right? That's a we need to have some conversation moment. <laughs> Jacob gives God a conditional vow. He views God as a mean, means toward his own desired end. Have you ever given God and if then, try and barter with him. God, show me this. God, do this. God, bring me through this. Then I will follow you. Then I will make that life change I've been meaning to make. Then I'll quit my, quit my job. Or then I'll volunteer at church or whatever it is. If you do this, God, then I'll respond. Have you ever been on the receiving end of an if-then? How did it make you feel? So how do you think this makes God feel? Twenty years now go by for Jacob. They could be described as twenty years of struggle and continued wrestling. In fact, he actually meets his match in deception with Laban, who deceives him time and time again and and Jacob is working hard and he longs to marry this woman he has fallen in love with and Laban tricks him into marrying his other daughter that he doesn't love and then he has to work and work and work until he can marry the one that he does love and it just continues for 20 years until finally after acquiring a lot of wealth and a very complicated family dynamic he heads home Right. <laughs> and that's an understanding. You, you guys really do need to read it because it is, I mean, this is what soap operas are made of. All right. Jacob is heading home, and Esau, remember, had threatened to kill Jacob for his past trickery. And so Jacob is preparing to go home, and he catches word that his brother Esau, along with 400 men, that's called an army, are headed toward him. Jacob now is terrified because Jacob believes the word of Esau. Esau said, I'm going to kill you if you return here. He believes the word of Esau, but what we also know is Jacob struggles to believe the word of the Lord, of his promised blessing, of his provision, of his protection. God clearly said he would protect Jacob, but as he prepares to see Esau again, Jacob is not trusting God. He's doing all he can to prepare and protect himself. He divides his family and his possessions, and he sends them in different directions so that Esau catches up and happens to kill them all, that the other half are still, still, they still survive. This is the first known incidence of families traveling separately so that if the plane goes down, the kids will still have a parent to return home. That's what Jacob is doing. And then he has a restless and a 
fearful night. He sent everything he loves ahead of him, and Jacob is alone. Or so he thought. Because in the dark of night, the thickness of his fear, the culmination of his lifelong struggle, Jacob's transformed forever. And this is where we finally pick up with Genesis 32. We read from verses 24 through 31. Hear now the true word of the Lord. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what's your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Thank God for the reading, his true word. What a wild encounter. I love how nonchalantly it happens. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled, just like, there it is. The man is fascinating, Throughout Genesis and the Old Testament, oftentimes we read of the angel of the Lord. Uh, the angel of the Lord appears to Abraham. It appears later to Hagar. And, and each time the angel, the angel of the Lord, is mentioned, they speak in the first person of God. And then people refer to the angel of the Lord as if they encountered God. Now we read this and we're like, was it actually God? Was it just an angel? Was it Jesus? There are a lot of different things that we could deduce. It's ultimately unclear, but I'm going to take Scripture's word where it says it was God and say this was God. Jacob wrestled with God. Was it God Almighty somehow in a human form? Was it Jesus Christ somehow before being born as a human? We don't know. We just know Jacob encountered a man who was claimed and shown to be God, and they wrestled, and that's good enough for me. So Jacob encounters God powerfully. And I'd say this encounter powerfully summarizes Jacob's entire journey and struggle throughout his life. He was chosen at birth to receive God's blessing, but he lived and operated as if everything depended on his own scheming, his own wisdom, his own ability to grab it for himself. He will sacrifice anyone and any relationship to get what he wants. And yet, shockingly, God doesn't abandon him throughout it all. But he also doesn't want him to stay there. So God comes down and meets Jacob on his level. He speaks his language in a battle of wits and maneuvers in a mat wrestling match of a lifetime. I find it important to know it is God here who sought out Jacob to bring him to a point 
of both physical and spiritual submission. Now you read that, and it says that Jacob overcomes. Was Jacob stronger than God? No, no. God is God Almighty. He is all-powerful. And in fact, even Jacob, in his testimony, right after this encounter, said, I saw God face to face, and he, saved, he, he spared my life. Meaning, I know who was in control there. And what else? He has that little special little move that he does when he's wrestling Jacob. He is in complete control and power. He is allowing something to play out for some reason. See, God sees the obstinance of Jacob. Jacob, who desperately needs a wake-up call, he gives him even this wound. And the wound is what opens his eyes to who, has been, who Jacob has been struggling against actually this whole time. And also who alone can give the blessing. You can't take a blessing. A blessing is given. It is granted. It is to exchange power. He could not claim the blessing on his own power, though he tried his entire life up to this point. It can only be granted by the one against whom he struggles. And he's wounded. And it is his suffering that opens him to see and receive from God. He asks then for the blessing. And, and we see what goes on. And Jacob then becomes Israel. And what we can see is this wrestling match, it, it almost is like, it acts as a prophetic parable of the rest of the story of God and his people Israel. Out of the wounded, exiled remnant will come the promised and blessing of God. So what do we learn from this encounter? Well, God alone can grant his blessing. God alone is all-powerful. God allows the struggle to persist, and then he alone gives his blessing to Jacob. Jacob did not earn it or win it. What we learn is he prevails with God. God accomplished, after all, his purpose. He responds, Jacob does, with humility. Not the pride of a victor, but the humility who learned something along the way. His struggle climaxes here, and he is forever changed. What else do we learn? That life guarantees struggle. If you're here, you're breathing, you know that to be true. Life guarantees struggle. But if we bring our struggle to God in faith, it will lead to peace. See, Jacob began that night dreading the arrival of Esau. He was full of fear, full of desperation, but he ended the night of struggle with God's blessing and a renewed faith. All of our struggling with God in faith leads to his peace. So in the midst of the struggle, keep your attention on God. Remember, God pursued Jacob for this match. God was the initiator. Jacob was stewing in his own anxiety over Esau and his approaching army when God showed up. But in the wrestling, Jacob was drawn out of his fearful preoccupation and forced to focus on God. And what else do we learn from this encounter? Do not let go of God. Do not let go 
of God. Don't let go of the one who formed you, who called you, who loves you. Hang on to God and he will bless you. You need not struggle through this life alone. Instead, cling to God through the struggle and do not let go. And experience his blessing, even if it comes through pain. Jacob wrestles with God, and it changed his identity, changed his name. He was no longer to be known as one who received his blessing by deception. Jacob, who means heel grabber, because of how he jostled with Esau to get and to try and take. This time instead, he received God's blessing. He prevailed with, not over, with God by faith. Israel means, after all, God prevails. God perseveres. When you encounter God, you have a new identity. You are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, and you find your struggle actually isn't with the people around us or our workplace. It's not against flesh and bone against the enemy and through our struggle God is with us God has blessed us God has claimed us Jacob who's now Israel learned all of this for this encounter is the one that transforms his life crazy fact he was like 90 or so when this happened they lived a little bit longer back in the early days right um, but this was a little bit over half of his life, and he had a significant amount of his life to go yet. But this is the one that transformed his life. It wasn't his stolen birthright. It wasn't his stolen father's blessing. It was by clinging to God, by responding to God, and being transformed by God. And we have evidence of his life change. See, in, in verse uh, 11 of chapter 33, him and Esau come face to face, and Esau embraces him. And Isaac, Isaac, who has been known to take, 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 and take, and take, gives an abundant blessing to Esau. Some would say he was just trying to make sure Esau wasn't going to kill him. But the amount of blessing of livestock and cattle and all that stuff that Isaac gives, or excuse me, Jacob gives to Esau is way above and beyond the kind of cultural norm of the day to like make amends. This was an overwhelming, abundant blessing from the one who was known to take. That's a life change. Later on in Genesis 35, 1 through 3, Jacob and, uh, and he, God commands him to go and set up an altar, and Jacob commands his entire household Get rid of the foreign gods. Get rid of the idols. Purify yourselves and change your clothes and let us go worship God. His heart has changed. Jacob's transformation was real. And it comes with a limp. He limps for the rest of his days. A daily reminder. How many steps do you take in a day? You wear one of those watches? On a good day, I'm around, you know, I don't even know. I'm not even going to say because it's probably not good. But thousands of steps a day. 
thousands of daily reminders of his encounter with God. Thousands of daily reminders that God alone grants the blessing. A daily reminder of God's presence and power with him. See, Jacob's transformation, it brought with him a weakened body, but a strengthened faith. And finally, in Genesis 35, God gives him his blessing. Jacob could never receive it on his own. It was only by clinging to the one who formed him and created him and named him that he was able to receive the blessing where he was blessed to be a blessing. And now he has this limp, and his limp tells the story. His limp tells the story. Every single step he takes now points back to God. Every single time someone asks him, what's with the limp? He gets the opportunity to tell of the God who changed his life. You, like Jacob, have a limp or a wound or you have a pain in your story that, that God longs for you to use to point others to him. You have scars. And you might want to hide them or cover them up. Sometimes we're embarrassed by our scars. We're ashamed of our scars. We're afraid of what people will think. I'm afraid of what people will think if I tell them I had a piece of glass in my, own, in my hand for two years because I did something stupid. I was too afraid to fess up until it was finally cut out of me. I'd be afraid to tell you that. We have scars. We get ashamed. But our scars tell our story. Our scars tell our story. Our scars point to pain overcome. It points to our hurt. It points to our limps. We share these things and allow God to encounter others through our transformed life. Your scar tells your story, and your story needs to be shared because your story God will use to transform and change someone else's life. And so what we take away with all of this is that God's going to meet you in your anguish. God's going to meet you in your fear. He's going to meet you in your uncertainty but he might not meet you in the way you ever expect or desire. Did Jacob think he was going to have a wrestling match that night? Oh, no. No. But God longs to meet you, and he will. So when God calls you to wrestle with him in prayer, it's an invitation to receive his blessing. Stay with him and do not give up. Do not let go of him. And he will bless you. He loves to bless that kind of tenacious faith. And you will come out transformed. And he longs to bless others through you as you tell others of your scars and how God has transformed your life. What are the scars that you have? And what is the story of God's work in your life that you need to share? That's what we've been pressing in on this entire series, and I encourage you to continue to press in on because you have been blessed. But not just that. It doesn't end there. You've been blessed to be a blessing. Praise God. May you pray this all in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.
Will you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for encountering us, for coming to us, for never giving up on us. We thank you for loving us so dearly that you engage in the wrestling with us instead of just forsaking us to our own devices. We thank you for working through a deceiver such as Jacob, which gives us hope that you will work through a sinner like us, knowing that we are sinners saved by grace, your grace alone. God, the ways that we have been running from you, we lay down again, and we ask for your guidance back to you. The ways that we have gone about trying to take things on our own power, we submit them and trust them right here and now to you. The ways we've been angsty and uh, anxious and impatient and trying to carve our own path, we proclaim again that we will wait on you. God, ultimately, we just want to once again surrender our life to you who gave us your everything. God, we long to run to you, to offer you it all, to meet you even in the wrestling to experience your blessing and to be sent out to be a blessing. May you do a mighty work in each of us here in this place today. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with me? Will you respond to God? And so.